welcome to Let's Talk Sales. This is the podcast for anyone who's interested in growing sales. Today's episode of Let's Talk Sales is brought to you by our webinar on selling more using personality types. In it, you'll learn how to use personality types and behavior to grow as an individual and sell more. Make sure to download a copy of the recorded webinar. You can find a link in the notes for today's show at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 276. Hard to believe we're at episode 276. (laughs) As always, this is Elizabeth Frederick, and I am really excited about today's guest. I think you guys are going to learn so much from her, and you're going to really appreciate her perspective. She is the founder and CEO of SalesBQ, which is a company that profitably either builds or rebuilds revenue departments for their clients. She has a lot of experience herself in sales and in sales leadership, and she's a prolific speaker. So you might have uh, seen or heard her on the various speaking circuits. She is based in beautiful, beautiful Denver, Colorado. So we are so glad to have you here. Welcome to the show, Mary Growth. Thank you for having me. I am just so glad that you could join me. And um, I know our listeners are going to learn so much. Well, I just shared kind of the top level bullets of your bio, but I know that's not who you are as a person. So I'd love it if you could introduce yourself to our listeners and you can take it whatever direction makes sense. Maybe talk about where you developed the passion for what you're doing or some of the key stops on the journey to where you are today. I'd love to. My story is pretty unique. Of course, I think everyone's is, but I'd love to share some of the high points and really what shaped who I am today and this amazing company that I get to run and the work we do for our clients. But I grew up in a performing arts family. And Mm. during that time, I had a lot of memories of just being at the performing arts school and growing up in acting, singing and dancing. I had a an opera singer, an actor for a father, and a pianist and choral director for a mother. And I, oh, wow. there were some high points of my childhood, also some challenging points. I, I grew up in a family that unfortunately was ridden with alcoholism and other forms of abuse that made my childhood both pretty cool from the uniqueness of the performing arts side, but pretty challenging from a personal aspect. But you know what? It was my childhood. I didn't know any different. And all of the good, bad, and ugly helped shape who I am today. And I'm pretty excited about who I am today. So thankfully, I've been on a journey to figure out how to turn some of those challenging aspects that I had to go through into really high performing qualities for who I am as a person. I think looking back into what shaped me as a top sales performer and now a leader for my company, also a wife and a mom, when in the environment that I grew up in, there there was a lot of feeling that I was never good enough. And mm. when you have an alcoholic parent, it shapes you. For, the rules change every day and you never know how to win. Uh, something that you get in trouble for Monday is completely acceptable on Tuesday. Something you were praised for on Monday, now on Thursday you get in trouble for it. So it's very difficult to understand how to play the game of life and how to win love, respect, and approval and feel like you're a good human being. And mm. That, for me, translated into having really high emotional intelligence and really understanding how to read the room, how to pivot, how to align based on my my buyer being my mother, <laughs> how I needed to be in that moment to align with her personalities, needs, wants, and criteria to really avoid negative outcomes and to push towards great outcomes, which is completely transferable into how to be a high-performing salesperson. But I also had a work ethic that 
was pretty incredible because I balanced being at the performing arts school and being in productions and musical theater and acting, singing, dancing, and touring a tri-state area with my dad. And um, I grew up singing opera with him. And so there was a lot to balance my schedule. My time management skills were pristine. And then also my parents just made sure that I knew I had to be a straight A student. There wasn't another option in balancing my academics and ensuring that I took my school very seriously. But ultimately when I was 15, I started working. Uh, The year prior, my parents had lost the performing arts school. They were in significant debt. They ran away from everything. We drove 1,600 miles to a new home and started our lives over. But unfortunately, they had to take minimum wage jobs, which means I started working at 15. And I figured out very young survival skills. And I think that type of determination and work ethic and being able to fully support myself before I graduated high school really helped me have a great head on my shoulders. I worked a lot of part-time jobs. I was kind of lost. I, I didn't have that great upbringing. I didn't have a good moral compass or strong direction direction. I messed around for a few years, made a series of bad decisions and thankfully survived it. But when I was 22, I got a an interview through a staffing agency with a Fortune 1000 payroll and HR company to where I got the job even though I didn't have a college degree, I didn't have professional work experience, but I was interviewing for a $13 an hour sales administrative position, meaning I got to do admin work and support a sales team of eight. But the cool part about this story happened to be the number one sales team in the country reporting to the number one sales manager in the country. And it was a mid-market team selling both a technology and a service. Well, I knew nothing about this. I didn't even know what sales was, let (laughs) alone working in an office building or anything really. So when I started I immediately just became infatuated with the opportunity and what my life could look like. I got to see these top performers and their lifestyles and the money they made and how hard they worked, how talented and appreciated and recognized. And I thought, I can do that. My manager put me on the fast track to learn everything I needed to over a two-year period. And then I earned a spot on that mid-market sales team against everyone thinking that was a good idea because I was so young (laughs) and I didn't have that proven experience. They thought my manager was crazy. In fact, some people said it was the worst decision he had made in his 16-year career. It was awful, but I put my head down, I figured it out, and I became the number one rep. So it's such a fun story is I was 24 years old. My first year's quota was 150,000 in revenue. I sold 758,000. And that was more than oh, number wow. two and three combined on the rankings. And some very cool things happened after that. They cut my territory in half. They doubled my quota. That's not the cool part. (laughs) That's just business. But then they asked me to help train reps and managers across the country in the mid-market division and help groom up talent because they wanted more people producing at that level. So in the second year, I got to train and coach and inspire and help. And it was crazy because I was only 25. I'm like, who gets to do this at 25? I also got to work direct with the VP of our $300 million division to help just rewrite the sales process and methodology, create a a playbook Mm -hmm. and I loved the work. So I did another year. I finished that year at 850,000 on a $300,000 quota 
with half the territory, as I said, from the year prior. I went into my third sales year and about halfway through, and I was performing very well, I just got an itch. I wanted to do something different, and I had someone knocking on my door. I went and took an equity position with one of my clients and went on as VP of Sales and Marketing, huge title for a 26-year-old. And I went in, I, I got thrown to the wolves, but I figured it out, and I ended up rebuilding the company's go-to-market strategy, uh, took their product services, packaged them up differently, did a lot of competition testing and product uh, price market viability, redid everything, took it back out to market, recruited, hired a team. We quadrupled the company's revenue in seven short months. I don't think I slept, but it was really <laughs> a fantastic opportunity. At that point, I started my first consulting firm called Butterfly Creative. I set out to help small companies just like the one I had worked with for seven months do the same exact process, take them to all new levels of profitability. I did that for three years. I was exhausted. I was drained. I had some rookie entrepreneurs entrepreneurship mistakes, didn't know how to price for my services. I didn't know how to delegate. I didn't know how to grow my own team. So I was taking on too much, but I ended up going back to work at the payroll company. I had met my now husband. We had big dreams. We want to get married and buy a house and have a baby. And I said, I know who can help pay for that. I'm, I'm going to go sell millions in revenue and make several hundred thousand dollars. And lo and behold, that's what happened. I went back to that company. You know, it was so interesting. I was just older, wiser, smarter, more humble when I went back, better head on my shoulders, much more mature. I ended up just crushing it again, multiple top 10 finishes. And, uh, you know, I just didn't, uh, I didn't look back. I went, I executed, I enjoyed my new marriage, got pregnant, had a baby. We bought a house. And in my last year there, I worked nine months out of the year, had my baby. I finished number seven in the country and only worked nine months out of the year. And I would argue I really didn't work that last month, but <laughs> I had my feet up on the couch. But after that, Sales BQ was born. My, my wings just needed to fly again. I had that fire inside of me that says, I'm, I'm destined for something greater and bigger than just being a top sales performer, although I love it so much. But how, how can I take this talent and what I've learned and impart this wisdom on others and allow them to have the same remarkable career that I had been able to have up until that point? Sales BQ was born. We've been in business now almost three years. We've helped over 100 companies reach all new levels of profitability. We don't mess around. We rebuild every revenue department, every touch point with the customer, starting with marketing, through sales, through customer success, as well as bring in a new tech stack and automation and just ensure it's one harmonious customer experience and that every revenue department is aligned. Everyone's working together and performing at the highest ability in the most profitable way. So these companies can just flourish, but that's my story. I love my husband. I'm crazy about him. His name is David and I, my son is about to turn four. His name is Beckham and I'm obsessed. I, I look in his <laughs> eyes and I melt every time. And I ask people, I, I ask on Instagram or when I'm tweeting or whatnot, are, are other people this obsessed with their children? Like I'm so <laughs> in love with him. I'm like, is this normal? <laughs> <laughs> well, I have 13 nieces and nephews and I can say that that, that is pretty normal. Um, I get to be the fun aunt and then get the kids back when they're problematic. But um, mm. <laughs> I thank you so much for sharing your story. I know it, it it's difficult sometimes to be vulnerable and to open up about difficulties. But as you recognized, it's the skills that it took 
both to deal with the difficulties of your childhood, as well as the skills that it took to excel in the arts and in the areas that you did, those combined to make you the person that you are today. And um, it's so wise to recognize how, you know, we all sell I believe our whole lives, um, we're constantly selling. Um, and even if you have a very idyll idyllic childhood, you're still selling to your parents, you're selling to, you know, your teachers, and, and you're, you're always selling your ideas. But if you have a, a challenging situation, um, that has to be dialed up <laughs> pretty high. And so to be able to translate those skills, and, um, and figure out how to relate to, um, you know, to buyers, in a in a positive productive way is a is a really powerful thing it is and i love the correlation because thinking about how we're all shaped as children i mean who where do you think it came from who you are today and looking back and being able to map what we learned as children and how it formed and shaped us. And to your point, I had heard multiple times growing up how persuasive I was and that I could uh, argue my way out of anything. And I had to, as a child, I felt like an attorney <laughs> growing up because I would be blamed for things or accused of things and it wasn't true. And so it was through that fighting for survival that I would have to what are they? I can't remember the saying that's coming to my head here, but I just, I could sell my way out of anything and I had to, <laughs> and I never knew I was doing sales, but in some instance, I mean, it was, it was to save myself from getting into massive trouble and in a, the environment that I grew up in, you know, I don't need to describe what that means, but in a lot of times it was survival and wow, talk about great sales training. I'm fortunate to have to go through it that way, but people wonder, they've always tried to dissect and figure out how are you so, why sales come so naturally to you? And it's just solving somebody's problem. What is the situation at hand? What What is the current state? What's our desired future state? What's the gap? And how are we going to figure out a solution to get through it? And maybe I'm not the right fit. Maybe you shouldn't buy my product or service. I don't know until we have a conversation. But if the prospect understands I'm emotionally committed to helping them and figuring it out, there's so much trust and buy-in that happens in the beginning. And People were always flabbergasted how just out of the gate, no experience, never sold anything. I became the number one rep. Within the first 30 days, I was number one on the rankings. And people were like, what the heck? She didn't even have a pipeline. You know, she came cold into the territory. I was competing against reps that had deals that they had been working for years and planting seeds and territories that they had been harvesting. And they're like, what happened? I said, I don't know. I just have a really high close rate and I have really high BQ, which is the behavioral quotient. And I work hard. Put the two together. Mm. Absolutely. All right. So I want to jump in on that because uh, you talk a lot about BQ. Obviously, it's in your company name, Sales BQ. And as you said, that stands for behavioral quotient. I think some people are familiar with that concept, but a lot might not be. So could you explain to our listeners who aren't familiar with it, what is BQ? What's, what does that mean? BQ, the behavioral quotient of behavioral intelligence. I was asked by the VP of that $300 million division back when I was selling payroll and HR services, how do we replicate your success? And I said, well, gosh, Mike, I don't know. Should I write down what I do? He said, that's a great <laughs> first step. Okay, Mike, I wrote it down. 
And then we started to take that written step-by-step process and send it out to reps. Some caught on, some saw a little improvement, but they weren't experiencing the results. So then he said, you know, I'm not sure they're as smart as you. Do they know all the products inside and out? You seem to be a a technical ninja because you can articulate, you can demo the software, you can answer advanced questions. Maybe we need to do more education on all the available products. Okay, you're right. So now we're getting into the IQ piece. And I said, Mike, it's not just about knowing the products and services inside and out, but it's also how do they they compare to what they have today? What are the advantages? So there's more to the IQ component rather than just, hey, here's how the technology performs, but how does it compete in the industry? How does it compare with other competitors? And then we wrote all that out. We did some training, product training. Okay, so they got a little bit smarter, but then they still weren't quite there. So then I thought, you know, it's probably more in in how they're selling. So we got more into the how, which is an easy way to understand what a methodology is. And as we got into the how, we started looking at how people were constructing their sales conversation, how they were pivoting, how they were engaging other personality styles in the room and how they were able to speak. I mean, sometimes in the mid-market, you have seven people sitting around the table and they all have a different personality and buying style. And if you can't speak seven different languages in one sales meeting, you're going to have a low close rate. And so we trained on that. We're like, oh, it's all about being more effective and having better emotional intelligence and being emotionally self-aware and reading people and pivoting and being able uh, to be so in tune with the conversation that you don't miss a step. Okay, great. So we worked on that. It still wasn't there. And some people (laughs) were improving for sure. I mean, these are huge lifts, what we just talked about, but it wasn't the 800,000 a year. It wasn't the 900,000 a year. It wasn't close. And so he said, Mary, what are we missing? I said, I don't know. Fly these people (laughs) out to ride with me for a couple of days. Maybe it's not just in the key components of the role being the step-by-step process, do these 10 things, and here's how you perform in the sales meeting. You know, there's a thousand other things salespeople do within the week. And I said, maybe it's in between that. I don't know, have them come out to Denver, ride with me for a couple of days. And then we figured it out. We figured out what BQ was and how important it was in sales. The people that came to shadow me wanted to pass out (laughs) because... (laughs) They couldn't keep up. They could not keep up with the structure of my workday and the work ethic that went in. Talk about multitasking, prioritization, being extremely detail-oriented and on task, no downtime, not wasting any time, extremely methodical without every minute is spent of the day, planning the night before, maximizing every single minute, getting to the office before anyone else, getting back to the office after a day's worth of sales meetings when everyone's going home for the day just to push out another hour to get all the administrative work done, update the CRM, make sure every email, voicemail, everything you said you were going to follow through on was done. And there are tiny little things that high-performing salespeople do that make themselves stand apart from other reps. I used to consistently hear that prospects were blown away and how fast I would get their questions answered or I'd get the next steps turned around or something scheduled or respond to questions in an email. I was high urgent on all of those. And I was able to get the responses done and, and consistently complimented on that. So I said to Mike, I think I figured it out. I think it's this BQ component. I mean, they can't keep up. The work ethic isn't there. And he said, okay, well, we've got to figure out how to do that. And so this is when I started to study behavioral intelligence and understand the mechanics of BQ. And this has been something that we are believing in 100% with the teams that we get to work with that you can be 
very high on IQ, very intelligent, knowing your product and service inside and out. You're articulate, well-spoken. You understand the industry, your competition. You can speak about everything in such great detail and be very convincing while you do it. But then there's the EQ component. Can you read a room? Can you be emotionally connected? Can you earn trust? Can you shift and adapt? Do you only have one speed or do you know how to be emotionally present and be present with other people's emotions, which is very different than being emotionally present with yourself? And how do you exercise the EQ on that to really earn trust and win people over? But those two things don't really matter if you don't show up and do the work. You have to have the behavioral component. You have to execute. And time and time again, we look at the difference between top performers and mediocre performers. It is the execution, the willingness, the dedication to do the work. And those who have high BQ follow this process. If you can imagine a wheel... If you can imagine a wheel, at the top of the wheel is how you think. It's your mental mindset, your mental preparedness. That mental mindset fuels your emotional state. Based on your emotional state, how you're feeling about life, work, things, your upcoming to-do list, what's on your plate, how your last meeting just went, your emotional state will dictate your actions, And those actions are what yield your performance. So how you think fuels how you feel, which will set you up for how you act. And then that dictates how you perform. And that's the BQ wheel. If you don't get it right mentally first and your head's not in the game, you're not going to win. But if your head's in the game, but then your emotional state is off, your actions aren't going to be aligned with what you need to do in order to get that peak performance. There's something crazy that happens when we have a fact figure thought enter our mind. As human beings, we create a story. Mm -hmm. We tell ourselves stories all day long and I could have a piece of information enter my mind. It could trigger us like when an email comes in, just based on who the sender is immediately by just seeing the sender's name and the preview of that subject line and preview of the message. We are already telling ourselves a story. We haven't even read the full email. We don't even know what's (laughs) in it. We haven't taken the time to process, but based on that limited data, we have these triggers and it can already start evoking an emotional response that's not positive that could then trigger trigger actions that really don't come from a great spot. That's one example. We do it all day long as humans. I think those with high BQ are able to make sure that they're being, they're responding, not reacting to the data facts and figures and thoughts that enter their mind. And then they can choose how to emotionally respond where they're in control of those emotions and they can sort through facts versus stories. And then actions that come out of being in an optimistic confident mindset and full of joy and you're just happy. Everything's coming from a great emotional state. You're excited. You're competitive. You're you're wanting to win. Guess what happens when you're in that emotional state? Great things happen when you're in that emotional <laughs> state. And so you can't yield great performance without great action that comes from a great emotional state that comes from that mental mindset. Absolutely. And I love that it's a wheel. Because the performance, I'd imagine, also significantly impacts your mental mindset. So if you've been performing quite well and you have wins at your back, it's it's a lot easier to be coming from a good mental mindset to have a good emotional state um, and then to take the actions that you know it took to get to the performance that you got. But if So it can be that virtuous cycle or a vicious cycle, um, really depending on any one of those factors, which might be off base. That was brilliantly said. Can I carry you around with me? (laughs) (laughs) Well, 
funny is as you were talking and describing this, I was thinking of so many of our clients and sales leaders see this. They might not articulate it to this level, but they see this in the difference between their top performers and everybody else. And what what can be so incredibly frustrating is we see that it takes just, I don't want to use the word superhuman, but it takes just a very intense amount of, like you said, you've got to be quick. You've got to be intense in a positive way. You've got to be just on top of stuff. You have to be responsive and just all these factors that we see, wow, our top performers do that. And then we see other people not doing that. We're like, why are they not getting the same results? It's like, well, Obviously, they they have very different behaviors. And yet, we don't hold people to that standard or we don't know how to help people. So what I'd love to hear is, how could a leader actually use this concept as BQ to improve their team's performance? Maybe some of the common challenges that they might run into or some of the just best practices. If I've got a few top performers who I'm like, wow, they've got all this. And I've got other people who I'm like, "Eh." (laughs) maybe it's not there. Well, you have to benchmark everybody first and you have to know what problem you're solving. Sometimes sales leaders will jump to try to give everybody on the team the same coaching, the same training. Hey, we're introducing a new idea here around BQ. Let's all train and talk about it together. But then the team has to do the hard work to translate, well, is the sales leader talking to me or well, what did I do that's making them think I don't, I'm not in a good emotional state or you have to do this one-on-one with your team. Mm -hmm. And I think that benchmarking people individually and having a very sincere conversation with them, that's really about being in their best interest and helping them reach peak performance and breaking this down will be far more powerful than doing this as a group session and having people self-diagnose. If people want to self-diagnose, they can go to salesbq.com because there is a free salesbq quiz. And I don't do anything with your email address. It just goes in there so it can email you the results. You don't get spammed or anything. Um, But you can go on there and get the BQ quiz so you can have your team maybe take that as a self-benchmark if they'd like. But ultimately... You, If you're committed to working on your team's BQ, it has to be done at an individual level. There are so many mm-hmm. pieces that negatively impact a salesperson's BQ. If you're going to be serious about doing this, I highly recommend on our website, you go to our blog and find what is BQ so that you can see all the pieces and components and really be set up for success and how you communicate with your team and why this is important. But ultimately... When you benchmark each individual on BQ, it becomes a very powerful coaching conversation. And the first thing I want you to do as part of that benchmark is determine how each team member is motivated. Because as you talked about it being a wheel, not only is that performance going to affect the mental mindset, but you have to know how each unique person is motivated. The three main categories of motivation are extrinsic, intrinsic, and altruism. So with intrinsic, you're looking at people that want to be recognized. They want to compete with themselves. They're all about top performance. They want to be called out for all the great things they're doing. The small wins, not just what have you closed lately? It's, hey, I heard you booked an appointment with a $100,000 potential deal. I mean, congrats. What did you do? How did you get it? Like, Be genuinely interested in the intrinsic's ability to do their job and have those small wins. They want to be recognized, acknowledged, congratulated. They want to be made. Um, they want to be 
made into an example of best practices and the great work that they're doing and highlighted, the extrinsic salesperson is money motivated. They're looking at the extrinsic award, what they get as a result of having high performance. And that's typically through extrinsic uh, material items, money, houses, cars, status, ways that they can spend the earnings. The extrinsic is motivated in conversations by understanding how something impacts them how that relates or corresponds to a specific dollar amount, either in revenue, uh, quota attainment, or dollar earnings. That's how they're wired. That's what they want to know. So when you you could negatively impact a salesperson's BQ if they're extrinsically motivated because you're talking about realigning territories or on the new fiscal year, there's a compensation plan adjustment. You might knock that person out of the game because you, their mental mindset just went down the wrong path because they're extrinsically mm-hmm. motivated and they're thinking, how is this going to impact me, affect me? So you have to be so cautious in making sure that you're speaking people's language the correct way. The third is altruism. And those are people who would, they, they want to serve. They want to serve other people and do right by others. Typically what we've seen is top sales performers, uh, 87% of them are intrinsically motivated or have intrinsic motivation as their highest motivator. And the lowest is altruistic. I mean, those, those that are altruistic are, really better set for account management or customer success roles where they just get to build their entire career off of serving people and doing right by them. If you have somebody that's high with altruism and they're they're carrying a quota, you might find that they get off track because they care so much about what other people think and serving them and doing the right thing that they may lose sight of the fact that they have a quota and they need to stop playing in customer success in that. And so it's just understanding how are they motivated, number one, then get a benchmark on the BQ, use the free quiz, and learn about how to dissect each of these four components so that you can have high-powered conversations. You will have greater results by getting buy-in from each individual team member that they're on board with this plan and being a top performer. But you've got to start at the very top with mental mindset, and that starts with how they're motivated. Absolutely. Because I would imagine one of the biggest challenges, um, as you know, back to that concept of a wheel, if you've got somebody who has never demonstrated great performance, it's going to be really difficult to lean on performance for their mental mindset. So understanding how they're motivated might be the, the best way to help kind of kick them off at that beginning of the wheel with mental mindset so that you can drive them through the emotion, you know, to the emotional state that's going to help them make the right action so they get performance. And then over time, they're going to be able to motivate themselves through this wheel. But um, I would imagine as a leader, you know, understanding motivation is a way to kind of get the wheel moving, even if somebody doesn't have what it takes themselves to do that. Agreed. And uh, again, I just think, you know, as you're talking about this, I think so much of this is, it, it just makes sense. It just seems so logical, right? But as a leader, we so often find that it's much easier to do one size fits all. It's much easier to just say, I'm going to train everybody on this concept because I know a bunch of people on the team need it and I don't want to take the time or the effort. So just like there's a high behavioral quotient in uh, a top performing salesperson, you have to have high BQ as a top leader and to be willing and able to take the time um, to work with your people one-on-one, to get to know them one-on-one, to understand how they're motivated, to customize your approach to them, to have the proactive conversations that you need to have before announcements are made um, to even when you make an announcement, make it 
with an understanding that I've got people with all these different styles of motivation. So I need to address that announcement where I'm talking about territory changes, you know, to those three groups. You can, you could, it's a mix of one-on-one and group communication, but it's just keeping these concepts in mind. And that requires, you know, high BQ as a leader. (laughs) Yes, it does require high BQ as a leader. And something that you said, I think would be the perfect expansion on this is you made the comment, which is, which was a piece of information entered their head. Hey, I need to roll out a new training initiative with my team. And then they told themselves a story. I don't mm-hmm. have time to do this one-on-one. I don't really have enough hours that I can allocate to this where I can break it apart for each person. It's probably just going to be easier if I can speak to the masses and just do this in a group training. And look, then here comes the justification. Everyone needs it anyway. And these uh-huh. are smart people. They'll <laughs> figure it out. Well, all that happened was a piece of information entered that leader's head. And then they started telling a story about it, which is going to trigger that emotional state. Gosh, I'm just so busy right now. I don't have time. I'm just stressing myself out, even thinking about this. So then what are their actions? Well, they take the path that's not going to yield the highest results. They simplify it. They take the easy way. They schedule a one hour group session overview. They see who it sticks with and they don't do it to its fullest. So 100% the BQ wheel plays a part at the leader level as well. Absolutely. Well, One of the things that I know you focus on is having a holistic revenue strategy. And when you were talking in the beginning about what you do at Sales BQ, obviously BQ is a a really important part of it. But how do you think BQ contributes in in a big picture holistic revenue strategy? Well, everybody has to do their work and has to do their part. And there are the, you know, unfortunately, I I say some of these sentences that are about to come out of my mouth, and I just ask that people have grace for what I'm about to say because some of it is generalizing. I know not every organization is this way, but I can I can speak from experience and what we see the trends are with most organizations. But typically, sales is the only department that is held to. KPIs and performance standards Mm -hmm. and metrics. Marketing may have metrics that they're looking at that maybe aren't as meaningful. They're just more so to keep an eye on. And if they see something shift and change, like all of a sudden ranking slip from Google or website traffic is down or whatever conversion uh, number of MQLs that come through is down or, you know, they're looking at some rates, but the employees typically in marketing aren't held to performance standards. Same thing with operations or client success is they're given their paycheck regardless of the outcome of what happens with the client. And so if the company is only focusing on one department to be held to performance standards and bringing in compensation that's tied to performance, et cetera, you already have a revenue strategy that's out of alignment. And so we want to look at the BQ method as a whole for all revenue departments and being sure that we are clearly building strategies that follow the customer through one harmonious experience from start to finish because every department has KPIs, metrics, and a job to do. And with that job, they need to have the IQ, they need to have the EQ, and they need to have the BQ. But sales seems to be the department where it's really make or break and tied to compensation. (laughs) And so what we like to see is how can we in this holistic revenue strategy, how does everyone share in the success of the revenue cycle for their pieces and components of doing a great job throughout? And that does require them to be very intelligent uh, and, and smart and savvy and articulate and understand the industry, the marketplace, the competition, the product, the service, and 
how to execute at their job, but it also requires them to be a great team player, to be emotionally connected, whether it's with internal or external stakeholders. And of course, the BQ component, they have got to execute. They have to do their job. It's unbelievable. Some of the organizations we go into to see certain departments, employees aren't held to the same standards of work ethic that other Mm -hmm. departments are. And it's like, why are these people getting the pass? And I'm not saying salespeople are perfect because I've actually seen it to where some sales departments, the salespeople are like these golden children that are held to no standards. And then they wonder why they're not hitting their quota. So I've also (laughs) seen it the other way where we have some departments being held. We've walked into organizations where the operations and customer success, you should see the dashboards. I mean, they proudly display them in the bullpen area up on the TV and you can identify quickly and pinpoint every metric and KPI you ever cared about and accountability piece for servicing a client and time to resolution and tickets and time on hold and um, revenue per client, how we're retaining and upselling and renewing revenue. They could have all that dialed down, but you have utter chaos in other departments or marketing is not held to standards or sales team is not held to standards. And so it's not, you know, I, I realize the first part of my example is making sales out to seem like they were perfect. Trust me, they're not. And so it's just every department needs to be working together in one holistic fashion to serve one customer. Of course, you know, potentially you're serving thousands or millions of customers, but the bottom line is it's one customer experience and you have to have everybody working through it from the very first marketing touch point through that life cycle of the customer. Absolutely. I I really love that context because I think one other area of disconnect is so often we see that other departments are that they snipe at sales because they're like, sales makes so much more money than I do. And it's like, well, sales is the only one who has a measurable target that they're that they're being held to. And sales could get fired if they don't hit their numbers. And uh, again, not making it, you've got a lot of salespeople who are underperforming and a lot of sales departments that don't hold people um, accountable. That's why you know, you have a job and, <laughs> and get some clients. But it's, it, it is something that if you don't have consistent accountability and consistent metrics across departments, you'll also have people working at cross purposes. And so if you have a, a strategy overall as a company, that every group needs to have a clear understanding of what do I need to do to move toward that strategy? Maybe our strategy is we're going to improve the customer experience. We're going to make sure that everything is just easy for them and smooth for them. And that when they want to buy, it's easy. When they want to use our service or our product, it's easy. When they need to interact with us, it's easy. That's one big strategy. Then you have to think about, okay, what does marketing need to do? as part of that? What does sales need to do as part of that? What does delivery or operations need to do? What does customers do? And everybody has a part. But if you don't know what your part is, you could be, you know, the block, the roadblock that's actually preventing that strategy from being achieved because you don't even understand how your actions contribute to that big picture strategy. Uh, Exactly. And I've heard that comment made, oh, sales makes so much money. And (laughs) one of the components that we bring forth is we level it out and say, everybody gets a base salary and everybody earns variable compensation based on performance then. Mm -hmm. Because if, especially people point fingers at sales, it's a very high risk. And I know that we're seeing a lot of trends with sales comp now with a lot higher base salaries and actually smaller variable than we've seen in past years. And 
they, it's interesting. My base salary when I started in sales was $42,000 a year. However, my earnings eclipsed a couple few hundred thousand dollars a year. And so that variable comp was so much higher. And when you think about in relation, you could go to the operations counterparts as back in the day, like back in 2008 and saying, <laughs> how would you like for only 20% of or 25% of your income to be guaranteed. And then you had to earn the other 75% based on performance. Like that's the risk we play in sales, which is why we make such a higher amount of money. So operations counterpart, do you want to only have 25% of your income being guaranteed? And then we can go ahead and wait based on customer feedback scores and how well you do your job that if you do a good job, you'll earn the other 75%. And the answer is no. (laughs) Okay, then drop the misunderstanding because we are very high risk in the work that we do. And so one thing that we've seen is as these base salaries have increased for salespeople, the variable component has lessened throughout the years. I love bringing in this type of compensation modeling for teams, for companies to see if we are all aligned on the same revenue strategy, here's how each team is compensated. And I'm not saying everybody has a 2575 that has (laughs) shifted, but if there's a variable component to everybody, then we're all striving for peak performance. Absolutely. We love to use um, quarterly MBOs for people, which is management by objective, where you have specific targets for each individual. And then there's a portion of their their compensation that's tied to that. And like you said, it's a different proportion for each person based on their function. But if you don't have something that people are clearly responsible to achieve to get their comp, it, it it's really easy to have people just kind of sliding along and, and not really stretching themselves, not really, um, you know, or they are working hard on the wrong things. Um, so that's so incredibly important. All right. Or I'm they, looking at the clock and I really, Oh, go ahead. Oh, <laughs> I, oh yes. I'm looking at the clock too. I'm going to just hammer one point on that or the employee doesn't know what expectations mm-hmm. are and how performance is measured for their role. That's one of the biggest things is sometimes it's not their fault. Management hasn't laid it out or communicated or made it clear. And they would love to know what they need to do every mm-hmm. day in order to be seen in management's eyes as a key employee and valuable and even a top performer in their role, even if it's not a sales role. I mean, there's just basics, people that most of them don't even know how to be set up for success in their role. So anyway, yes, I'm also looking at the clock, but that was a really great point. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It, it, I think most people want to be top performers. Um, I, I just strongly believe that nobody wants to be mediocre. Um, we just have to give them the space for that and help them. All right. Uh, A question we always like to ask is uh, for additional resources for our listeners. So do you have any books or other resources that you would recommend for people, whether it's specifically related to what we've been talking about or just in general? I love, so I'm a woman of faith. And when I started my company, I read Business by the Book by Larry Burkett. And for me, that just shaped a lot of the business principles that we act on today. And uh, it has steered us in a really beautiful place. I just am so thankful for everything that has come through, but I know that we built the foundational principles of our business and how we serve our internal team and our external clients and other stakeholders. And I would say for anybody that's looking at how do we set those core foundational principles to make sure that we're really doing business the right way, I would steer you to that book. It is brilliant. It's old, but it's brilliant. And it's so good. (laughs) Another book that I read 
when I was starting the company that I think teams can use. Anybody that's responsible at a leadership level for developing strategies for their team. There's a book called Good Strategy, Bad Strategy. I have no idea who the author is, but this was one of the greatest, most simplified books on strategies that I've ever read that clearly identifies where most teams fail when they say they're building strategies. And Mm. so it is so clear cut and dry on what to do and what to avoid if you're trying to develop a new strategy or vision or plan for how you're going to achieve certain goals and separating out strategy vision from tactical execution and how to marry the Mm. two together. It is so beautifully written. And that was a big leaping off point for me. As far as uh, following other influencers, one of my favorite influencers to follow right now is Jake Dunlap. I also like John Barrows. And these are people in the sales influence world. I'm not a reader. I It's really hard for me to sit down and read a full book. Those two books I mentioned, you know, I may have read really fast and skimmed and like highlighted the bullet pointed areas. And that's about my extent of reading. And so I love digesting content from those two people just as influential leaders on LinkedIn and Instagram and seeing some of their content come through. Absolutely. I I think it's always helpful to provide different methods because everybody learns differently and everybody has different amounts of time that they can focus on things. All right. Last question. If you want people to learn more about you, more about your work, if people are interested in in learning about uh, Sales BQ, where should they go? If you want to know more about me as a human being and what I am doing with my personal life and blending into my work life, go to marygrothy.com, M-A-R-Y-G-R-O-T-H-E.com. Connect with me there. I have a personal blog on that and all my handles to Instagram and Twitter and my other accounts. For everything sales and SalesBQ related, salesbq.com will be your gateway to everything you need to know, including our Quota Crusher podcast. Wonderful. Thank you so, so much for speaking with me today, Mary. I am sure all of our listeners really enjoyed learning um, again about you as an individual, as well as all of this great information. Thank you. All right. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning into today's show. You can find the notes and resources for everything Mary and I have been talking about at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 276. 